Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of The Thriving Metabolism, where we discuss everything that impacts your hormones and metabolism so that you can lose weight consistently without making yourself miserable in the process. Most weight loss strategies and diets actually do harm to your metabolism, resulting in further weight gain down the road. And it can be a particular challenge for women over 40 due to hormonal and metabolic changes. So it's my mission to empower you so that you and your metabolism thrives and you never go through diet misery again. I'm Louise Digby, registered nutritional therapist, weight loss expert, and founder of The Nourish Method to Lasting Fat Loss. So some of you may be wondering why this podcast and my weight loss program and everything else is always about women and why I don't talk about weight loss for men. And there's very good reason. Women are very much ruled by their hormones in pretty much every way that you can imagine. Our brain activity, moods and memory, attention span, energy levels, sleep, creativity, workout results, weight fluctuations, you know, they're all controlled by our hormones. And we run on this 28-day-ish cycle. Men, on the other hand, they run on a 24-hour cycle. So where women feel different from one week to the next, or even from one day to the next, based on their cycle, men kind of have this reboot and start over every 24 hours. And the impact that this has on women is massive. And it really means that if we can tune into our menstrual cycles and understand what our bodies are doing and what their needs are and what our strengths are at certain points of the cycle, then we can almost leverage that so that we're working with our bodies. Because like, for example, doing the wrong type of exercise at you know, certain points of your cycle, you can really be working against your body and getting the opposite result of what you're aiming for. The narrative around the female hormone cycle is almost always negative, but what we don't hear is about the many positives that we can gain from working with our bodies and our cycles. So this is one of the reasons why everything that I do is focused on supporting women to lose weight because it really is a different ball game for women. Pretty much all of the women I work with have mentioned at some point that their hubby just, you know, if they wanted to lose weight, they'd just cut back on the junk, on their portion sizes, you know, come off the beers and, you know, usually do it pretty half-heartedly as well. And the weight just falls off them. Whereas the women themselves, they pull out all the stops, you know, intense exercise regime, super clean and low calorie diet. And, you know, they really struggle to shift much weight at all. So when it comes to leveraging your cycle, this can help with weight loss, but it can also help with getting the most out of your workouts. It can also help with your work life. You know, potentially you can schedule certain tasks or projects for times when you're gonna be finding it easier because you're feeling more creative or more productive. So I think we really need to start with looking at the phases of the menstrual cycle so that we can begin to understand how we can start working with our bodies. So first up is the menstrual phase. 
This is where you actually get your period. And during this phase, hormone levels are low, including estrogen and progesterone. After the menstrual phase, we enter the follicular phase. And during this time, the body starts to prepare for ovulation. Estrogen levels begin to rise. Then we have the ovulatory phase, and this is where the ovary releases an egg. Estrogen levels reach their peak during this phase. And finally, we have the luteal phase, and progesterone levels start to rise, which thickens the lining of the uterus and helps to prepare it for pregnancy. If pregnancy doesn't occur, and the lining of the uterus shreds, then we start the menstrual phase all over again. So that's a real whirlwind tour of the four phases that we go through. You don't necessarily need to know it in any real detail. So let's start looking at what we need to do to take advantage of these phases. In the menstrual phase, when we're bleeding, we really want to be taking a slower pace, resting more, less socializing, because our energy and productivity levels are at their lowest during menstruation. And that's because estrogen and progesterone are at their lowest too. Next, we have the follicular phase, which is usually around about 16 days. And there's a sharp rise in both progesterone and estrogen. And testosterone may rise towards the end. And this is a good time to be proactive and get creative work done. And you'll handle difficult and complex tasks better during this phase. And not only that, but your energy levels will be higher. And this is a great time for more intense exercise, particularly strength training with heavy weights, which is gonna help you to build muscle to boost your metabolism. Then we've got the ovulatory phase, which lasts around 24 hours, but the surge in the estrogen and the progesterone can mean that you feel the effects for three to four days. And this is a time when you may feel a bit more energized and extroverted and proactive. So this might be a good time to schedule meetings and do group work or even have tough conversations. With that surge of estrogen and testosterone, it's still a good time to be doing more strength training or slightly higher paced exercise. And then next we have the luteal phase, which can last between 12 to 14 days and both estrogen and progesterone rise until the end of the phase. Progesterone has a very calming effect, so you'll feel a little bit slower, meaning that productivity may be lower, and you might feel a bit lower mood-wise, and you might want to hibernate and eat comfort foods. And so for many women, this is a time when cravings can crop up, and you can really struggle to stick to your healthy eating or exercise regime. So what you really want to do in this phase is prioritize self-care. Face masks and long hot baths and reading and yoga and gentle cardio, walks instead of intense exercise. And you may benefit from a touch more carb. So if you usually don't eat much much in the way of carbohydrates, you know, try having a little bit of complex and unprocessed carb at dinner time, like potatoes, brown rice, butternut squash, and that type of thing. And opt for simpler tasks that require less brain power if you can. And you know, you'll likely do better with solo tasks during this time um, rather than doing team work. 
So there's a lot to think about there. And to help you to massively simplify it, before ovulation, you have more energy and more brain power, and you can really go after what you want. Whereas after ovulation, you need a more gentle approach and more recuperation and rest. Becoming aware of your cycle and you know what your needs are can really help with the weight loss journey because not only can you leverage it for your benefit, but you can it can also help you to understand why cravings can seemingly come out of the blue or why your gains or losses don't always correlate with your efforts. You know, for example, many women gain a few kilograms before their periods because they retain water and they become prone to constipation. And this is often exaggerated by the cravings that crop up and the reduction in activity levels where energy levels naturally dip. Then after the period, the weight comes off again because the water retention eases and bowel movements speed up. And once you understand and expect these natural fluctuations, it's less likely that you'll throw in the towel because you'll know that this challenge will pass and it's not that what you're doing isn't working. And you can also plan ahead to prevent some of these blips, you know, eating more fiber in the week before your period, planning a bit more carb in the same week and planning to do some self-care. You know, they're all good strategies to manage that lower energy, lower mood phase. So the best place to start with all of this is by tracking your cycle. And there are several apps you can use. I use the tracker on my Fitbit, and there are also others like Clue, Flow, and Maya, which are particularly useful. Okay, now it's time for my favorite fact from the past week. And in case you're new to this podcast, every week I read through the research to find you a juicy fact that's either interesting and or useful to know for your health or weight loss journey. So my fact this week is this. The European Food Safety Authority has announced a 20,000-fold lowering of the tolerable daily limit of BPA or bisphenol A. BPA is a type of plastic that many people are aware that plastic bottles are a key source of exposure, but we're exposed to lots of other sources of BPA too. And I've talked before about how BPA is a hormone disruptor. You know, it interferes with your estrogen balance because it actually mimics estrogen in the body. And it's been linked to obesity and infertility, type 2 diabetes and heart disease, cancer, neurodevelopmental issues. So we've known for a while that it's not good for us and that we should be, you know, minimizing our exposure. But this announcement shows that it's probably a lot worse than we originally thought. So the tolerable limit is how much we can safely be exposed to. And they've lowered the tolerable limit by 20,000 times. That is massive. and. What it means in reality is that on average, people are consuming 150 times more than this new tolerable limit. And you know, even more concerningly, infants and toddlers are consuming 4,200 times the limit. So it's obviously concerning and it's important that we take some steps to try and lower our exposure to BPA. So here are some tips. 
Firstly, use BPA-free products. Look for products that labeled as BPA-free, such as water bottles and food storage containers and babies bottles. And if possible, avoid plastic containers altogether. Use glass or stainless steel con containers instead of plastic containers to store food and water. Reduced tin food. Um, you know, BPA can be found in the lining of tinned foods. So try and reduce your consumption of tinned foods or choose products that are labeled as BPA free, you know, opt for frozen or fresh instead. And avoid heating plastic. Do not microwave plastic containers or put them in the dishwasher because the high temperatures can cause BPA to leach into your food. Wash your hands after you've come into contact with products that might contain BPA. And receipts are a big culprit, so wash your hands thoroughly before eating or touching your mouth, particularly if you've been touching receipts or anything else that might have BPA in. The really good news is that BPA seems to leave your system quickly once you start taking steps to reduce exposure. So good luck. Okay, now it's time to go through a listener's letter. And every week I choose a listener's question to answer on the podcast. You can ask me anything about weight loss and hormones, and I'll do my best to give you some guidance and direction. And you can submit your question by emailing louise at louisedigbynutrition.com and popping podcast in the subject. Okay, let me just get today's question up on my screen. Okay, so it says, Hi Louise, thank you for your great podcasts. I'm a few weeks behind, but after listening to the thyroid part two, I had a question. Eight years ago, I had a large thyroid nodule and the right lobe of my thyroid removed. Doctors did thyroid tests and assured me my thyroid levels are normal. I haven't felt normal since. I struggle with fatigue and have not been able to shift my pregnancy weight despite my best efforts. Doctors keep saying it's normal, eat less, exercise more and I will lose weight, but even when I do this, I lose six kilograms, no more, and then it all piles back on with some extra two. Um, I've also recently been diagnosed with fibromyalgia as I struggle with joint and muscle aches, but I am not convinced this is correct either. I feel the doctors can't be bothered to investigate and just keep saying all bloods are normal and just lose some weight. It's so frustrating. Any advice? Well, obviously they told you to lose weight. That's their go-to thing. You know, pretty much every woman that I've worked with has gone to the doctors because they can't lose weight and the doctor has told them that they should just try eating less and exercising more. It's simple. As you um, hopefully realised from listening to the two previous thyroid episodes, just because the blood tests come back normal, that doesn't mean that your thyroid is normal. Your doctor will have tested TSH and maybe T4. And so if those levels are good, then your thyroid is at least functioning. You know, the, the surgery hasn't damaged your thyroid, but the most important thing is your level of T3, and that doesn't get tested by your doctors. We don't make the T3 in the thyroid, we convert the T4 into the T3 in other tissues in the body, including the gut and the liver. So it's possible that as a result of the surgery, the, the medications, so the general anaesthetic and possibly antibiotics, these could have disrupted the gut and maybe the conversion of the T4 and to, into the T3 could be compromised because of that. So some targeted gut work 
may well be needed, which is often the case after surgery. Also, if you're getting fibromyalgia-like symptoms, that suggests a deeper problem, possibly with the gut, possibly with the mitochondria, which is where you burn fat and you make energy in every cell in your body. And it's also possible that these problems are unrelated to the surgery, or it could be that the stress of the surgery, both physically and psychologically, could have been a trigger for some unrelated or underlying issues. You also mentioned pregnancy. It can be difficult for your body to recalibrate after pregnancy. And again, underlying issues can be triggered either by the pregnancy itself, so, or it could be from the stress and the sleep deprivation that comes afterwards. So those are the things that I would think about as a practitioner. I think my priority would be to do some more advanced thyroid testing and ideally mitochondrial testing and nutrient testing, which unfortunately cannot be accessed on the NHS. This is something that my team can help you with. So ping me an email if you would like to explore that. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to talk to me about anything that I've discussed in this episode, you can reach me on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Louise Digby Nutrition. Or you can email me with your question to be answered on the podcast. The email again is louise at louisedigbynutrition.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please head to wherever you get your podcasts, click follow or subscribe and leave a review. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.